Again, thank you, Jonathan and Abigail, for leading us this morning in our worship. This quote that I'm about to read as introduction to today's message is occasionally attributed to Alexis de Tocqueville, but it was actually written and spoken by Alexander Fraser Teitler, who was a Scottish advocate, judge, writer, and historian who served as the professor of universal history and Greek and Roman antiquities at the University of Edinburgh. Of course, this, his life is back in the uh, late 17 and early 1800s. But listen to this quote, and perhaps you have heard it. And I want to ask this question as, before I read it. What is it that makes a nation great? What makes a nation great? Our president ran his campaign at his last election as make America great again. Well, how will America become great? How did it become great in the first place? How will it become great again? Is it because of our economy? Is it because of our democracy? Or just what will make it great? Well, here's what uh, Professor Teitler said. A democracy is always temporary in nature. It simply cannot exist as a permanent form of government. A democracy will continue to exist up until the time that voters discover that they can vote themselves generous gifts from the public treasury. From that moment on, the majority always votes for the candidates who promise the most benefits from the public treasury with the result that every democracy will finally collapse due to the loose fiscal policy, which is always followed by dictatorship. Then he goes on, and this is probably the more famous quote of this, or section of this quote. The average age of the world's greatest civilizations from the beginning of history has been about 200 years. During those 200 years, these nations have always, emphasis on always, progressed through the following sequence. See if you can find out where America is in this sequence. From bondage to spiritual faith. From spiritual faith to great courage. From great courage to liberty, which is what we're celebrating this weekend. From liberty to abundance, from abundance to selfishness, from selfishness to complacency, from complacency to apathy, from apathy to dependence, from dependence back into bondage. That may sound very sobering. But I want to remind us this morning that God holds the course of governments in His hands. And perhaps He will extend more grace to our nation than we deserve. But what makes a nation great? I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles. Again, I'm going to be using the New Living Translation. And no, I'm not converting uh, to using this exclusively. Let me again tell you why I'm using it. It is my daily Bible reading Bible. It is what I uh, have been reading from the beginning of this year. 
And it is where God has been. I've been making notes and highlights, and it's just easier for me to pull out of this particular Bible than it is my normal New King James Version uh, study Bible that I use. So if you have a New Living Translation, fine. If you don't, that's fine too. But you will see the scriptures, or at least most of them, on the screen this morning. Proverbs 14, 34 says this. Godliness makes a nation great. Did you hear that? There's the biblical key to making America great again is godliness. Now look around this nation, would you? Look around and see if you see godliness. And it doesn't matter how economically well off we are as a nation or how solid our democracy might be. If we don't see godliness, America will never be great again. It was great when it first started because it was started on the principles of God and His Word. But we have departed from that as a whole. Not every member of this uh, nation has departed from that, but as a whole, we have. And that's why America, if we're going to be great again, we've got to return back to God. Godliness makes a nation great. But the rest of that verse, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Sin is a disgrace to any people. Now listen, that's the part of that verse that I'm going to focus in on today because we need to look, and I realize that I am primarily speaking this morning to God's people. There may be some who are listening who are not yet saved, but I'm primarily speaking to God's people. This is a message to the church of Jesus Christ because sin is a reproach or is a disgrace to any people, even God's people. And we're going to look at several chapters in Proverbs where God has been speaking to me and showing me some things that I want to share with you. Proverbs 14, 15, 16, 17, and some a little bit before and some a little bit after. Because, and I want to read uh, another quote here out of this introduction to this section and out of this Bible. The, these chapters repeat the word L-O-R-D, all caps, which is the English translation of the Hebrew name of God, Yahweh. And it appears in chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, 89 times. The name Yahweh appears 89 times. It's a reminder, as one author said, over and over again that the Lord is the key to all righteous living. And he says, God writes with a pen that never blots, speaks with a tongue that never slips, and acts with a hand that never fails. The significance of the repetition of the name Yahweh in these chapters we're going to look at today is that he's speaking to the people of God. The word usually translated God, that is Hebrew Elohim, is occurs only eight times in the whole book of Proverbs compared to 89 times in just these four or five chapters. Yahweh. And Yahweh is the Hebrew title God used most frequently when dealing with His chosen people. When He was speaking to the world, the term would be Elohim or God Almighty. 
So what he's saying here or suggesting here uh, is that Proverbs, especially these particular chapters, were written primarily for the family of God. So if, so if godliness makes a nation great and sin is a reproach to any people, let's begin with the people of God. How can we as God's people lead and help our nation become a godly nation? And I can tell you it's not by what I've been reading and hearing and seeing from some of God's people on the Internet. And that's what we're going to address this morning. How can we, as God's people, promote godliness in our nation? Proverbs chapter 14, we're going to begin there with verse 2. We're going to talk about, if we get to everything I want to talk about, which we probably won't, but we're going to talk about our path, our temper, our tongue. Those are the first three. If we get past that, we're going to talk about our pride, our plans, and our associates. But all this is in Proverbs 14, 15, 16, and 17. And it helps us to see how we as a people of God can help our nation become great again. Everybody here, everybody listening to me wants America to be great again. And it cannot be great by who we vote for for president. Yes, you need to vote. And yes, you need to vote according to the principles of God's word. But you have a greater role than even voting and helping this nation become great again. It's how you and I live our daily lives, moment by moment. And it begins right here with our path, Proverbs 14, 2. Those who follow the right path fear the Lord. Those who take the wrong path despise Him. I want to ask you this morning, are you on the right path? Are you on the right path? Are you following the Lord? Are you walking with Him day by day? Or is Sunday the only time you ever crack your Bible and listen to what the Lord has to say? Are you walking with the Lord? Are you on the right path? There is a wrong path. The Bible says in verse 12 of chapter 14, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. He repeats that in chapter 16, verse 25. It says it almost the same way. There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Are you on the right path? Are you on the path of the Lord? Are you walking close with Him? Or are you, as Proverbs 14, 14 says, a backslider? Backsliders get what they deserve. Backsliding. That's where many gods of God's people are. They're backslidden from God. They've drifted away from God. They're not walking next to Him. And then they're going to point the finger at the president. They're going to point the finger at the government. They're going to point the finger at the, the opposite party of which they are politically associated with. And they're going to blame them. But yet you, some of you are the ones who backslid from God. And you have lost your position to criticize anybody else when you yourself are not walking with God. You're a backslider. You're not helping this nation become great again if you're not walking with God as his people. Proverbs 15, verse 10. Whoever abandons the right path will be severely disciplined. Oh, if you're not walking with God, you can expect discipline from God. Some of the things that are happening today may very well be considered discipline. Proverbs 14, verse 29. So I want to ask you this morning before we go to that verse, are you on the right path? Are you walking with God? You know whether you are or whether you're not. Most of you do. You know the answer to that question. If you're not walking with God, the first invitation this morning is get on the right path with God. There's a, it's a narrow path. There's a wide path. 
we know it leads to destruction. Many are on that path. That's easy. But get on the narrow path with Jesus Christ. Walk with Him. Repent of your sin. Turn back to Him with all your heart. That's our path. That's how you can make this nation great again, is get on the right path, the path with God. Secondly, I want to deal with our temper. Our temper. Look at chapter 14, verse 29. <clears throat> the Bible says, These verses are getting harder and harder to see. Let me put my glasses on. I read the words, just not the verse numbers. Okay, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Chapter 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered person starts fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. Let me read chapter 19, verse 11. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Let me ask you something. Are you in control of your temper? You know, that's one of the things that concerns me is, is the people of God cannot control their anger. Listen, I am as frustrated, and as I shared with you Wednesday night, one of the responses towards the wicked and towards what's going on in our world today is anger. We see that in Psalm 119, and indignation and making us sick at heart. But we don't have the right to respond in kind. We have an obligation by, as the people of God to return. And when we get evil, we return good. We don't return evil. When we get anger, we return love. We return peace. We return joy. That's the fruits of the Spirit at work in the people of God. But when God's people lash back in Twitter and on Facebook and on emails, that is not helping our nation be great again. That's ungodliness. I don't care how right you are if you're speaking in that kind of uh, spirit you're not helping this nation. If you look at Proverbs 14, I didn't read this verse, but uh, I didn't even actually make a note of it. But it's in one of those chapters, 14 or 15. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Your anger over any issue, you're expressing that anger on Facebook or Twitter or whatever, it, over any issue, whether how right you may be, does not help this nation become godly, become great. You are a detriment to this nation. You don't feed, you, uh, you don't add uh, fuel to the fire. That's all hatred and, and, and anger does. James 1, 19 through 26. Let me read this. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen. That is swift to listen. Slow to speak, slow to get angry. I said it was in Proverbs 14. It's actually right here in James 1. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. You're not going to make this nation righteous by your spouting off in anger. So get rid of all filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, then forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, 
And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Now listen to this last verse. If you claim to be religious, if you claim to be God's people, but don't control your tongue, you're fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. It means nothing to this culture that you identify as a Christian if you cannot control your temper and your anger and your words, whether out of your mouth or written. It's a shame that the people of God do not understand that. And that Facebook and Twitter and other media outlets are slam full of the same kind of hatred and from Christian people that we're hearing from unchristian people. My brethren, that ought not so to be. Can from the same mouth proceed good and, and evil? Can from the same spring spring forth good water and bad water? No. If you ain't got anything good to say, keep your cotton-picking mouth shut. That's going to help our nation become great again. Godliness makes a great nation. But sin of the tongue or the words is a reproach to any people. The wonder the world casts reproach on the church because they don't see a whole lot of difference. You want to make this nation great again? Get on the right path and control your temper. Bring it under the Holy Spirit. Let Him control your tongue. No man can tame the tongue, but Jesus Christ can. The Holy Spirit can. Now let's talk about our tongue. Proverbs 15. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Are your words gentle or harsh? Chapter 15, verse 2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge appealing. But the mouth of fools belches out foolishness. Just get on Facebook, Twitter. Listen to some of what God's people are saying. It's a lot of foolishness. They may be right, but they're just belching out foolishness because of the way they're doing it. They're not using soft, gentle words. They're not making knowledge appealing. Listen to chapter 18, several verses in chapter 18. Verse 2, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Chapter 18, verse 6, fools' words get them into constant quarrels. They're asking for a beating. <laughs> you know, I find it interesting that when people say, give their opinion, which they think every, everybody's got one, and they, they, you know, most people think if they got an opinion, it's worth sharing. That ain't true. Just because you have an opinion doesn't mean it's worth sharing. And then when you share it, you get beat up by it. Well, that's what the Bible says is going to happen. If you don't want to get beat up by sharing your opinion, just keep it to yourself. That's what the Bible says. Just read it. Chapter 18, verse 6. Fool's words get them into constant quarrels. They're asking for a beating. Look at verse 7. The mouth of fools are their ruin. They trap themselves with their lips. Look at verse 13. Spouting off before listening to the facts is both shameful and foolish. Your position may be right, but the way you're sharing it is all wrong. Gentle words. 
Verse 4, back in chapter 15. Gentle words are a tree of life. Chapter 16, verse 24. Kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. Chapter 17, verse 19. Anyone who loves to quarrel loves sin. So you have this opposite here that the, the, the writer of Proverbs that Solomon is showing you. You got people who are just spouting off foolishness and you have people who are using good, kind, gentle words. And sometimes I think some Christians just love to argue. They love a good fight. Verse 21 of chapter 18 I'm sorry, verse 19 and 21 says, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. You can win an argument, but you'll lose a friend. You can win an argument, but you'll lose the connection, the, the opportunity to be a witness. We're not promoting godliness with what is going on on the Internet today. Verse 21, the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Chapter 20, verse 3. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor, and fools insist on quarreling. Back to chapter 15, verse 28. The heart of the godly thinks carefully before speaking. The King James Version says, studies how to answer. You know, we're told that people who are quick on their feet and can speak without a whole lot of thinking, those are good people. Those are, that's, that's an admired character trait, but not so according to the Bible. The Bible says you need to think before you speak. Let everyone be slow to speak. Slow to speak. Why should we be slow to speak? So we can think before we speak. Think about what we're going to say, how we're going to say it. Study how to answer. Not just giving the right words and the, and the rightness of our response, but how we respond in the right spirit, the right attitude. Think before speaking. Chapter 17, verse 27. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Chapter 13, verse 3, those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything. Listen, Christians, listen, God's people. I know this is very convicting, but our tongues, the way our, many Christians are using their tongues is not helping our nation become great. We're acting just as ungodly as those that are looting and pillaging and all this junk that they're doing. God sees it as the same, and He sees it happening in His house. He sees it happening among His people. Even though we may be talking about the wicked, and some of us, some of you, may be even talking about your own Christian brother and sister. We need to learn to control our tongue because it doesn't promote godliness when we just let it all flow out. Something doesn't always have to be said. Our path, our temper, our tongue, our plans. Proverbs chapter 16, the first several verses deal with our plans. Verse 1, we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. 
Verse 3, commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. And then verse 9 says, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And then if you look at chapter 19 and verse 21, you can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Chapter 20, verse 24 says, the Lord directs our steps, so why try to understand everything along the way? We think we've got to have it all figured out. Before it happens. Let me give you a, a for instance this morning. I had no clue what God was going to have me preach till this morning. And it worried me all week. I didn't even tell my wife this. It worried me all week. Lord, you haven't given me. I have leftovers uh, uh, outlined to finish from a previous series. But I, the Lord was, was not letting me develop that. He was not leading me in that way. And I kept saying, Lord, I've got to have some plan. I've got to know what's going on before I get up there. And God just kept saying this over and over all week. Just trust me. Just trust me. Boy, you know how hard it is to trust God sometimes when you don't know what's coming or what you're going to say when you stand before a group of people. We think we've got to have it all figured out. God just wants his people to learn to trust him. Chapter 21 and verse 30. No human wisdom or understanding or plan can stand against the Lord. Listen, it's God who makes the plans. God's plans. Man can plan. This whole COVID virus situation and all, that is, all these things that we've, we've been through and, and what's coming, and we don't, we, we don't know. We just don't know. And, and, and sometimes we want to know a month or two in advance of what's going to happen to, with the church, what's going to happen with my, with my job and my career, and what's going to happen with my family. We just don't know. But listen, to behave godly and to help our nation become great again, we've got to learn to trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and lean not on your own understanding in all, all, all your ways. Acknowledge Him. He will, not may, but will direct your paths if we trust Him. Dedicate your plans. Commit your plans to the Lord. Hold your plans very, very loosely. Say, Lord, here is, after much prayer and thought, here's what I feel led to do. These are my plans. I'm committing them to you. You have the right, even at the last moment, to change those plans. And I will be faithful and I will be flexible to adjust my schedule to fit your ordering my steps. How about it, Christians? Some of you are so uptight. So uptight. You think you got to have your every inch and moment and second of your life ordered out. And you've ordered out, you scheduled God, God's will, God's leading, the Holy Spirit right out of your life because you are so structured. There's nothing wrong with structure. There's nothing wrong with order. There's nothing wrong with plans. But hold those things loosely. We march to the beat of a different drum and it's not yours. And it's not mine. It's God Almighty's. And he may change the rhythm at any minute. And we have to adjust our lives to it. Trust the Lord with your plans. I want to talk about our pride. And boy, do we have pride. Whew. 
It is every person here listening, including me, it is our number one sin. You can call it all you want to call it, but it's pride. Human pride, pride is my number one sin. I guarantee you it's your number one sin too. It is the root of all other sins. It is on God's number one hit list or hate list, Proverbs 6. These things doth the Lord hate. Six things, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And the first one on the list, pride. And I don't care what kind of pride it is. It can be church pride, Christian pride, gay pride, political pride, party pride. I don't care what kind of pride it is. It is an abomination to God. He hates pride. The Bible says in chapter 18 of Proverbs, I'm sorry, chapter 16, in verse 18, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. Chapter 13 tells us pride leads to conflict. Pride. It's in, it's we're eat up with it. It's my way or the highway. It's what I think over what you think. It's my opinion that matters the most. Pride. We can become proud about anything. We got the prettiest church. We got the best people. My family is the greatest family. My this is the best. My that's the best. We're eat up with pride. We can be proud in our position. We can be pride, proud in, in, our, in our wealth. We can be proud by the, thing, the house we live in, the vehicles we drive. All those things are just sometimes they, it's all about pride and selfishness. And if we want to promote godliness in our nation, God's people, first and foremost of all, need to swallow our pride and we need to bend before God. We need to bow before God. Pride doesn't exalt a person. Pride brings a person low. Pride does not help a nation become great again. Humility does. You know what would help this nation become great again? Is if we'd quit standing, stand up and, standing and, and making speeches about how great our nation is. If this nation, especially God's people, would fall on our faces before God and say, Oh God, we are a wicked people. We have done abominable wickedness. And therefore we are, we are uh, experiencing the consequences of our iniquity. God, forgive us of our sin. For isn't that what God told us to do in 2 Chronicles 7, 14? He said, if what? My people, who are called by what? My name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. The church is waiting for the world to repent. God's waiting for his people to repent. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will what? Heal their land. If you want to make America great again, humble yourself before God. Bow before Him. Repent of your sinful pride. Ask the Holy Spirit, Oh God, show me where I am proud. Show me where I'm stiff-necked and stubborn and help me to humble myself before you. 
It starts many times by humbling ourselves before one another. It starts by humbling yourself before your spouse, before your children, before your parents, before your your boss and employers, before your fellow man that you've wronged and offended or who has wronged and offended you. Our pride. And then lastly, our associates. Proverbs 16 Verse 27 to 30. See if you don't see what's going on in our country in these verses. Scoundrels create trouble. Their words are a destructive blaze. A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Violent people mislead their companions, leading them down a harmful path. With narrowed eyes, people plot evil. With a smirk, they plan their mischief. Chapter 13, verse 20 says, Walk with the wise and become wise. Associate with fools and be destroyed or get in trouble. Our associates. You say, well, I don't have wicked friends or wicked associates. No, but you may not. But let me just say a word for those of you who may. We're called to be salt and light in this world. We're called to be a light in the darkness. A light does shine brighter in the darkness. So there is a a way in which we have to be and we are and are going to be surrounded by uh, sinful, wicked, dark people. But are we shining the light of Christ? Are we showing them a difference or are we just associating with them doing the same things they're doing? Because, hey, we want to make friends with them so we can lead them to Christ. No, you don't lead them to Christ by doing what they're doing, talking like they're talking, drinking what they're drinking, smoking what they're smoking, watching what they're watching, reading what they're reading. No, that's not how you win them. You've got to shine as a light. Light is different than darkness. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, he said, Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. What does the devil have to do with Christ? What does light have to do with darkness? What does a believer have to do with an unbeliever? We've got to be different then. Yes, we're going to have to rub shoulders with them. But Jesus said, you are in the world, but you're not of the world. Some of you have the wrong kind of associates. You have the wrong kind of friends. You're listening to the wrong kinds of people. You're being influenced by the world and their worldview, and it skewed your worldview. You're seeing the world through the eyes of the media, the television, the, 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 the popular opinions. Christians need a biblical worldview. And the only way to get a biblical worldview is to read the Bible, believe the Bible, obey the Bible, and surround yourself with people who do. Let them be your influencers. Let the people who walk in truth be the ones who counsel you and guide you. No matter what the world may say. Who are your associates? Hopefully they're not scoundrels that are creating trouble. But let me say another word, another way that we are duped by the world. I would imagine most everybody listening to me today has a television. And some of you are watching me on your television set. I have a television, of course. We probably have three in our home. But that's one way we're being duped. We are paying attention to scoundrels. We are associating with the wicked through what we watch and what we listen to. I wonder, I just wonder, 
Bobby and I were talking earlier this week as we live and walk here in Thomasville and as we meet people in and out of stores and things like that, all the hatred that's out, out in the world that we see on the news and the media, Bobby and I were talking about, I'm not seeing that here. I'm not seeing that in my day-to-day life. I know I don't live in a mega metropolis city. Thank God we live in a, a nice little town called Thomasville. But you know, whoever I meet, whatever color skin they are, whatever denomination they may be, whatever political um, uh, persuasion they are, I haven't asked that. But they're kind. They're nice. They're polite. People who are different from me. I don't see the hatred here. I don't see the division here. I think the reason it's so big is because we're listening to the influencers of our world. And we gripe about it, but what if we just shut them down? (laughs) What if you quit listening to them? What if you quit walking with them? If you walk with the wise, you become wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. If you want to be a companion of fools and listen to all that garbage, that's fine. But it's just making your life miserable. I would imagine if we could turn off Hollywood and the media, our world would be a much better place. Now, I may get severely criticized for this, but I'm I'm just plain and honest with it. We're listening to the wrong people. God's people, we need to be informed, yes. But there's a difference between being informed and being led by the wicked and the ignorant. God's people, we're not going to make this nation great again by listening and making our influencers the ones we're getting from that black box hanging on the wall. You need to be reading that book in your hand. Your associates. You ought to be reading some great... You ought to be reading the biographies of some great men and women of God. You'll find a lot of those biographies right here. Men like Abraham. Women like Esther. Men like Job. Men like David. Women like Mary. There's some other great, more modern biographies. Surrounding yourself with people, listening to their stories. And turn off the garbage. You see, I didn't bring it, but someone shared with me an email this week about how how a nation gives itself over to communism, socialism. And one of the ways was to control the media because that's how they brainwash the people our associates who are you listening to and I want to close with some good news but I've challenged us as God's people in our path, our temper our tongue, our pride, our plans our associates but I want to close with this It's in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. You may have heard it like this from another version. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love. Love.
No greater love was demonstrated than the love of Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father when He sent His Son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin. When Jesus shed His blood on the cross, it was for your sin. It was for my sin. It was for the sins of the whole world. So if you find yourself today on the wrong path, controlled by the wrong kind of temper, using the wrong kind of words with the wrong kind of attitude, full of pride, lack of trust in, for, in your plan and God for your plans, the wrong kind of friends and associates and influencers, there's hope. It's the blood of Christ. The love of Christ that covers a multitude of sins. We come to Him and we confess our sins. If we try to say, oh, I'm not guilty of that, then, then we're just, we're not promoting godliness. Our nation's not going to become any greater. But you see today, these are just six ways in which you and I can help our nation become great again. Because godliness makes a nation great. Not Republicans or Democrats. Not a strong economy. Not a democracy versus any other form of government. Godliness makes a nation great. And godliness happens in God's people. That's where it should be coming from. Are your actions, are your words, are your attitudes, are your motives, are your thoughts godly? And if you've been convicted this morning that they're not, then there's forgiveness and the blood of Jesus Christ. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Would you ask him? Would you bow before Him right now? Humble yourself right now. I'm going to ask us to do that. Even where you are, you may have to get off of your sofa or your lazy chair, off your kitchen table chair, and just get on your knees and just ask God to forgive you. Confess your sins to Him. Ask Him to give Him control of your life. Ask Him to get you back on the right path. But you have to make some definite choices. You have to decide, this is what I'm going to do. With God's help, I am going to get up from here and get back with God. Would you pray with me? Spend some time right now just talking to the Lord. You know the areas He's convicted you of. Now repent in those areas. Ask His forgiveness. Claim the cleansing of His blood.